This has been a seven weeks process for us, but a just several hours for Jesus from the time that he sweats droplets of blood under such pressure and anxiety in the Garden of Gethsemane to then get the kiss of betrayal from Judas, shackled, put in an ox cart, taken to six different trials from one high priest to another high priest to the Sanhedrin to Herod, then to Pilate, back to Herod and to Pilate. And we see this uh, process unfold of Jesus becoming the sacrificial lamb slaughtered for us. We want to tidy it up a little bit, but we are, we, are, we are in a place where we have to really understand the intensity of this moment. I want to thank those guys that are watching online and all of our friends at Die Ball and the Duncan unit for joining us today. You guys are just a part of this. Thanks for joining us in this journey. But as we begin today, I really want to start by talking about we've drilled deep on these statements, but there's also some unbelievable practical handlebars for all of us during this Friday that Jesus experiences, during this Good Friday, which is really the worst, best day ever. It's the worst, best day ever. Worst for him, the best day for us, what he pays for uh, on the cross. But there's some practical things he gives. And so we've drilled deep on information. But what I want to do is as we get to that seventh today, I just want to recap those six statements by giving you practical help for overcoming, in fact, how to make it through the worst day of your life. This was Jesus' worst day of his life on, on, in the flesh. And there are going to be days that are the worst day of your life. Yesterday, many of you heard the news that in Central, a family driving their car in the storm, a tree falls, and just in this freak accident, lands on the back of their car, crushes the back, and their three-year-old and eight-year-old in the back seat are killed. And mom and dad walk away. What a tragic moment. What a what a what a unexplainable moment that for that family is the worst worst day of their life. How do you get through something like that? You know, can we just stop and pray for a minute? Father, for that family we pray. Oh Jesus, do what only you can do. May their friends rally around them and be strong for them because they certainly are not strong right now. And God, for us, that maybe we've gone through the worst season, we're in that season. We're, we've gone through a worse day before, and maybe some of us are headed that way. May we learn from you today. May you speak to us clearly that we respond to your good news today on how to survive and work through the pain. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for praying with me, friends. Uh, how do you make it through the worst day? Well, you start like Jesus started, and here's what you do. You forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. It may be a circumstance for you, or some of you, it's somebody, situation relationally that, that has caused the worst day. It was, a, it was a, uh, uh, an infidelity. It was a broken promise. It was someone who wounded you. And the best way to get through your worst days is to start like Jesus. And Jesus, having been spat upon, a crown of thorns, having endured the cross for hours, being mocked and ridiculed, hanging naked in front of people just sarcastically watching him, 
He says out loud the first statement, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The only way you're going to get that bitterness beyond you is, is you got you to gotta let it go. You have to forgive those people. Bitterness will come at you. Bitterness can be around you. It does not have to be in you. And if you will forgive, it propels you forward. Bitterness stalls you out. So a question that I would ask, a question that we might want to do as we do some inventory this morning is this. Am I holding any bitterness or resentment towards someone in my heart? If you want to survive the worst days, you can't hold on to those resentments. you gotta, you got to release those things and forgive. Number two, we have to help others who are experiencing a similar struggle. What's amazing is when you suffer, when you can find someone else with a similar suffering, it's amazing how that helps you through. It's amazing how it can strengthen you and strengthen your resolve when you are dealing with a situation and you find someone else that's got that me too situation going on. We're like, oh, you, you're hurting too. And, and you can help someone else who's suffering. We see that when Jesus looks to the common criminal who's on the cross just like Jesus is on a cross and that criminal surrenders his heart and, and in that last moments of his life, one surrenders, the other one stays hard. But the one, one that surrenders, Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. In the middle of his own pain, he's helping others in a similar struggle. So the question we ask is, who's someone I can be praying for that's lost? They've lost their way, they're broken or hurting. When you're broken, when you're hurting, when you've lost your way, it's amazing how when we can pray for someone else, how that brings strength even to our own broken situation. Number three, take care of those closest to you. When we're going through the worst day, it's easy to kind of hide, isn't it? We can hide behind the pain. We hide behind what's going on. But it's important that you, you get close to those, you help those that are close to you, those that, that, that you love and that love you back. And we see this with Jesus who, while suffering on the cross, he notices his mom, probably on her hands and on her knees, weak, hurting, wounded, grieving over her son that's about to die. That same mom who 34 years earlier gets visited by an angel one late night as a 14-year-old kid. And now she's almost 50. And that child that was promised by an angel that she watched grow up and wondered, what is all this going to turn out to be? What's this going to look like? How is this going to unravel? She's watching as her son is dying. The son that the angel said to call him Jesus. And Jesus cries out to her, to John and to her, take care of my mom, John. When you're suffering, get close to those that love you. Don't push them away. Let me ask you this. Is there a loved one you need to reach out to and connect with this week? I have the privilege, it's sobering privilege, to be in the intersection of life when someone experiences a death in the family. And on occasion, I will perform funerals and in a church's size, I'm not able to do all the funerals. On occasion, I'm able to. And, but in that moment, when I bury a mama, when I bury a dad, after leaving that, that graveside, one of the first things I always do is I'll pick up my phone and I'll call my mom. I'll call my dad. And it's a reminder of, Dad, I love you. I, someday I know 
unless Jesus has different plans, the way that it should be is someday I will be at your funeral, Dad. I hope you're not at mine, I, but I will someday honor you. And Mom, someday. And it's important in tough moments that we get close to those we love that love us back. We need each other, everybody. That's why some of you don't have close people close you, but you do have an opportunity to be a part of people in the church. We become family in the church. And the way we do starting point and we connect with one another and the way we design our groups and even our grow track processes and encounter, we want you connecting with people that will love you that are also walking through some similar, on a similar road, even through some similar valleys. Who do you need to connect with this week? Before Easter Sunday, is there someone you need to call and just say, hey, I just wanted to say, I love you. I just called. No, I'm sorry, sorry, that's horrible. Lighten the mood a little bit. Get a little Stevie. Number four. Aim your hard questions at God. Sure, aim your hard questions at Congress. <laughs> aim your hard questions at whatever. Aim your hard questions at your teacher. Aim your hard questions at your spouse. But there's no greater place to aim your tough questions than to God himself. And Jesus gives us the example. When he looks to heaven and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's like this moment when my little baby girl who's now 15 and a half. Oh, dear Lord, where does this time go? And I sit her up on the, on the papered bed there at the children's clinic down the road in Lufkin and she's getting ready to get her immunizations and we're sitting there together and the nurse comes in kind of stealth mode with four syringes unhinged ready to rock and I'm talking and Sage is in such a good mood <laughs> and she's just talking and I said like, it's gonna be okay I'm really scared oh no, and, and, and all of a sudden, pop, 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 like, like, a, like precision, like, pop, 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 and all of a sudden, my, my little girl's face goes from dead to, what have you let them, did you see what she did? And she looks up to me with those tears filling her blue eyes, and she says in her own baby language, why have you forsaken me? And as a dad, I want to explain it to her, but she doesn't get it. I want to explain. I know, baby. I, oh, I know this hurts. It's, I, and, I, you know, explaining it to you isn't going to help you with your hurt. But you know what daddy will do? I'm going to scoop you up. And I'm going to hold you. I'm going to say, I know. I know. I know it hurts. I know it hurts. And many times what we want from God is an explanation. What we need from God is just to surrender into his arms and let him scoop us up and say, I know, I know. If you could see what I see, if you understood time in the way that God, the creator of the universe does, you, you, you would make decisions that, that I make too. And you would understand the way things work, but you're not God. But I will hold you when you hurt and I will be there. Aim your hard questions at me, he says. The question I would ask today is, what is something I'm struggling with that I need to surrender to him? That you really need to, to put into his court. Stop, stop getting the poll from Facebook or your friends on that trip. 
they may be able to help you and you might be able to think through some things, but there's no place like in God's hands and in God's presence that we find what we really need. Number five, be human enough to acknowledge your needs. We got a lot of hard people not wanting to acknowledge their needs. We wear masks like Batman around here. And we try and cover up the, uh, the alter ego, the other issues that we're dealing with. And we need to be human enough to acknowledge need. And after for a season that Jesus is simply quiet on the cross, he says, I'm thirsty. The Savior who says, Lazarus, come forth, has sweat on his brow. The Savior who is beaten within an inch of his life is thirsty. Can I ask you this way? What describes your deep-seated thirst? A lot of people that are thirsty for things. Thirsty for success, thirsty for recognition, thirsty for acceptance, thirsty, thirsty that someone would finally acknowledge their need. And it's so important that we find people that we can be real with, people that we can share with. But I want to say to you, the greatest deep-seated thirst that you ought to be searching for and, 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 and running after is a hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Bible says, if you'll seek him first, seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. All the other things, you, you can be thirsty for those things too. He can fill those needs, but be thirsty after him first. That's how you get through the worst day of your life. Thirsty for revenge, thirsty for answers, thirsty to make it right, thirsty for an explanation, thirst for the presence of Jesus in the middle of your worst day. Number six, remember your pain can serve a purpose. Another way to say it is your pain can become a platform. I had the privilege, that really this impromptu moment, I had on the schedule to go and, and be a part of the ribbon cutting for a, a new organization uh, started by one of our very own here at the church, Ashley Berry, who started uh, an alliance to help uh, men and women and children that have cancer that we can provide funds and, and different uh, avenues to help those families right here in East Texas. There's so many thousands of dollars that are raised uh, to help cancer patients across the world, uh, but a lot of that that's raised goes outside of that local community, and, and Ashley's creating a system and a team, and it's beautiful on how to help those right here in our backyards kind of help with the little things that get lost and forgotten. She told the story about how they've already been able to help a family that going to cancer treatments, they didn't have money for a cap and gown for their daughter to graduate or their child to graduate, and they provided the cap and gown. Little things like that, that that are bringing hope to families. But Ashley, she's not doing this just out of her heart. She herself is a survivor of cancer. And almost at the five-year mark where she can say she's cancer-free. She's been in this remission and, and her checkup's coming soon to say she's completely cancer-free. Praise God for that. But she didn't just let that moment, she didn't let the pain she had to endure just be part of her story. She's using that pain to serve a purpose for others. And I wonder if we could get past the pain of the moment and see the platform that God's wanting to place in your life the purpose that he wants to use, that that was a broken moment in your season when you way back then or just recently, and there's a time of healing that you need to go through. But once you're on the other side of that healing, God can use that to bring help and healing 
to others. Your pain served. Jesus says it's finished. All my pain wasn't just to suffer. It was to pay for it. It was to be bought in full. The price that, that was needed to be paid for your sin from the beginning to the end of time. It's paid for with one sacrifice. No more sacrifices necessary. His pain was the platform. His pain served the purpose that while we were still sinners, he dies for us. And the wages of that sin was death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Let your, your pain serve a purpose. So the question, what have you gone through that might help others get through what, you're, what they're going through? Let's say it again. What have you gone through that might help others get through what they're going through? Don't waste your pain. Use it as an opportunity to see others make it through theirs. And now we come to the final statement, which is a beautiful, practical place to be on the worst day of your life. The final statement of the cross, the final help for us for every day, especially the worst days. Surrender it all to God and let it go. It's one thing to surrender. It's another thing to completely let it go. Come on, uh, you know, maybe, just maybe, there's some marriages you guys got in a little, you know, tiff. And what not, Janet and I in a little bit of an argument on why she's wrong about something. <laughs> and we get into an argument, we're talking, and I finally say, and, and she'll say, fine, 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 we're done, we're done, I, it, it's over, it's, it's fine. Not we're done like we're done, done, like we're done as our marriage, just we're done with the argument. We're done. But I just want to say this one more thing. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? Fine, hey, I forgive you, you forgive me. But I do want you to realize you just got to get that last karate chop in. Surrender is also truly letting go. You can have the, the idea of surrender, but until you palms up this thing. We come to this final statement that Jesus says on the cross. It is his palms up moment. He says, cries out with a loud voice. He said, Father... Into your hands I commit my spirit. And have he said this, he breathed his last. He started with a prayer. Father, forgive them. In the middle of the cross, he prayed, God, why? And in his final breaths, he prays, Father. into your hands. These are powerful words of Jesus. They're powerful words for us. So I want to take these moments that we have and I want to unpack this statement of Jesus. And I want to give you four words that describe this moment. Four words that describe this statement. Into your hands I commit my spirit. These, these are words of hope, everybody. Four words that describe this moment. Number one, it's this. These words, these famous last words are words of victory. They are words of victory to the believer. Now it looks, it looks like anything but victory. It looks like the one who's down at the count, the one who's down on the mat, that they're not victorious. It, it looks like this is anything but a glorious moment. 
The one being placed in a borrowed tomb seems to be the one who lost. Doesn't look like victory. Back. It looks like a picture of defeat. It looks like he's been murdered. It looks like he has had his life taken from him. It looks like this is the end. But I want to say something to you, everybody. It's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. And I want to say to you, it may look like the end. It may look like a struggle. It may look like the valley. It's not always what it looks like. This, nothing's been taken. Nothing's been taken from him. We see months and years earlier, Jesus in his ministry says it like this. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. Victims of the crucifixion had to have their legs broken many times because the crucifixion could go on and on. And it would be several days that they could barely hang on and finally die just to speed up the process. They would break their legs and they would more quickly suffocate. Jesus didn't wait for something else to happen. He, in Matthew it says, he yielded up his spirit. It was all him. It wasn't the centurion. It wasn't the spear in his side. It wasn't that the enemy got in his final blow. No, this had nothing to do with the enemy. This was all God's plan. All the enemy could do was bite his bottom lip and twiddle his thumbs and pace back and forth because he knew this was the moment that death would be completely defeated and conquered and everything was victorious moving forward. So what I'm saying is nothing has been taken in this moment. Everything has been given. And after 33 and a half years of what, of what heaven understood as a special ops rescue mission for humanity, Jesus finally, the heavens announced, God stood up. He said, my boy is coming home. And it was mission accomplished. It was victory in and through Jesus. And even then when you go through stuff, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear when, when, when people are hurt, when you get a bad medical report. It's not what it looks like. This physical body only lasts a while. But the most important part of you lives forever, and that is your spirit. Jesus says it like this in Revelation. He says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and I'm the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Don't you love that? Jesus is like giving his own amen. He's like a preacher saying, can I get an amen? He don't even need your amen. He just amens himself. I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. And some have been taught that Jesus went down into hell and he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. That, that's not in Scripture. That's not Scripture. He took the keys. He simply holds the keys. He has the keys. You know how broke, busted, and disgusted. I love how T.D. Jakes like, broke, busted, and disgusted. <laughs> you know how bad, broke the devil is? He doesn't even own the keys to his own house. He doesn't even hold the key. He doesn't even hold his own keys. Jesus has got it all. And you can be victorious knowing that, yeah, even though someday this body isn't going to be all there is. And we can try and, and keep it up. And we can try and nip it and tuck it and you name it. This body ain't going to last. But we're victorious because of what Jesus has done. And we have a promise that we can be with him. Which brings us to the next word. It's not just victory. 
It's words of comfort. These are words of, of comfort for you and for me. These are words of comfort for Jesus. I'm coming home, Dad. That's what he's saying. I'm coming home, Dad. You know, Paul was imprisoned and beaten and stoned within an inch of his life. He was chased out of town in several different occasions. He was shipwrecked, and yet he preached the good news of Jesus Christ. And we see in Corinthians, he writes that letter to the church of Corinth, and, and he, has this, he has this assurance with them, the, the, this comfort of knowing that this isn't all there is to life. And he says it like this. He says, we're always confident. Boy, would you be confident after having a shipwreck, being snake bit, having been stoned within an inch of your life? And I don't mean stoned like stoned. I mean <clears throat> stoned. Some of you have been stoned within an inch of your life in a different way. I'm glad you're here. I'm sorry. Knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And he goes on to say, we're confident. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're confident, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body. Because if I'm absent from the body, it means I am present with the Lord. You can have comfort. There's not this thing that happens where your spirit gets disconnected from your body at death and you don't know where it's going and it's some kind of thing you've seen in fairy tales where there's this swirling vortex of souls that figure out where they're going and they have to pass through different tests and different time and end up somewhere at some point. There is, there, that's, not the, that's not life. That's not reality. He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is this moment, he says to the criminal, today you'll be with me in paradise. And it's a comfort. When we place our spirits in his hands, it's the best place we can put ourselves. There's a rule to live by. It's a rule to live by that, that you and I should really take to heart. It's not the golden rule, but it is a biblical rule. And here it is. I never have to worry about anything I've committed to God. Why, why would we worry about that which is in God's hands? It's like when I just talked to Sage again when she was in fifth grade, we got her ears pierced. And it came time that we were going to have to clean those ears. After you get them pierced, you got to kind of get, get them clean and stuff. And I remember she was in the bathroom there. We were living in one of the, the houses on our campus here. And, and I was in there, and, and, and I said, okay, it's time to, to get those ears clean. And, she's, and, and she got real nervous. She said, no, 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 Dad. No, no, don't, no, don't touch me. I don't want you to hurt me. And I said, and I said to her, do you know who you're talking to? I'm your daddy. The last thing I want to do is hurt you. You can trust me. And I want to say to you, you can trust your father's hands. Whatever you commit to his hands, you can trust. And I know that some of you couldn't trust your earthly father's hands. And I hate that because it can become a barricade for people to truly understand the goodness of this father we sing about and know about and rely upon. But I want to tell you, his hands are good. His hands are loving. His hands, his hands are nail scarred. His hands for you. You don't ever have to worry about what you've committed to his hands. And that's not me saying it's 
It's scripture saying it. Look at 2 Timothy. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. But can I tell you there's things that he won't keep. When we don't commit to him, it's not his job to keep. We commit to him, it's his job to keep. So do you know? That if you want to keep in your hands all the worry about your marriage, you can. You, you can manhandle that thing. But when you say, into your hands I commit my marriage, then you've just involved the creator of the galaxies. And he will keep what you've committed into his hands. If you're worried about your kids and you're trying to handle your kids all on your own, then you're going to... Handle your kids all on your own with your own strength. He says, commit your kids into your hands. I commit my kids. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Into your hands, I commit my future. Into your hands, I commit my relationships. Into your hands, I commit the finances. Into your hands, I commit my spouse. Into your hands, I commit that promotion. Into your hands, I commit, I commit my, my struggles and my questions and everything else that I have. I, I've been to your hands. I commit it all. And he'll keep it. And you don't have to walk alone in these things. Number three. Are you still with me, everybody? These are words of example. Words of example. How many of you ever had a friend or a dad or a mom say, do as I say, not as I do, okay? Do as I say, not as I do. You, you never see Jesus saying that. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me. You're going to learn everything you need to learn. Follow me. Stay close. Stick close, everybody. Stick close, Peter. Follow me. Stick close, John. Follow me. Stick close, Abby. Stick close, Chris. Huh? Stick close, Holly. Follow me. He is an abu he's a beautiful example. You know what he's a beautiful example of? Prayer. As I mentioned, first words are prayer. The middle of, of the cross is prayer. His final words are prayer. It's like sown through his life. The disciples... Ask him a very important question, Lord, teach us too. And they could have said, teach us to lead, teach us to do miracles, teach us to turn water into wine. That would be really nice. He says, no, the, the disciples say, teach us to pray. There was something powerful about his prayer life. The, the son of God. So how arrogant is it of us to think that we could make it without praying? They saw him as an example and they said, teach us how you do that. Teach us how you spend time like that. And he shows us. He's an example of prayer. You know, he shows us an example of how to die. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, uh, if you could choose those final words as wisely as possible? Those would be beautiful final words, wouldn't they? That on your deathbed, into your hands I commit my spirit. What beautiful words that Jesus chose as he yielded his spirit and breathed his last. But many of us don't necessarily get the chance. We don't quite know when that moment is going to be. We don't know what those last words are, you know. It's like a tombstone I saw in one graveyard. And the last words were, I told you I was sick. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was bad. A joke. We have famous last words. Whether they're thought of or not, they're going to be your last words. Um, 
That's why we see it's such tragic when you see these stories or commercials or whatever and someone's texted just something meaningless while they're driving and those are their last words. He gave us an example of how to die. He finished well. But because you don't know when you're going to die, he gives you an example of how to really start and finish every single day like it could be your last. Do you, do you have an EMSR? Anybody have an EMSR? Sounds like a special rifle or something. No, it's not. EMSR is an early morning success ritual. Can I tell you that when you have a, an early morning success ritual that you follow, it's amazing how better your day can go. Now, I don't follow it every single day of the year, but I want to tell you something. My best days start when I follow my early morning success ritual. And it starts like this. About five, I get up. I go right, I go right to, the, to the bathroom. I brush my teeth. I wash my face. And I pray the Lord's Prayer out loud. Just the simple, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I go and I make me a, a shot of espresso, make a latte. Thank you, Jesus. I'm barely a Christian before I get my coffee. <laughs> I get the coffee. I go to my office. I put on Spotify. I'll take about five minutes, seven minutes, and stretch. And then I sit down on my best days when I follow this. I read through the chronological Bible and the, uh, through that, and I'm reading that passage for that day. Then I have a time of prayer. I put that worship music back on. I'm praying through different things. Then I look at my daily journal or planner, if you will, and, and I write down what my three top things I need to do today. What are my top three things? If nothing else happens the way I need it to happen, what, do I, what three things I've got to get done for today? And by the time I'm done with that, it's almost 6.30, and I'm able to go and, and start with Jan, get the kids up. We do the breakfast thing. We get them off. We get our brats off to school. That EMSR is important. I wonder what it would be like. And I've been thinking, you know, I want to add into my routine. When I turn my, my feet off of the bed and I set my feet on the ground, I wonder if I could start saying the very first thing I say is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit today. And I wonder if when I lay down and I go to bed, and it's so, it's so sweet and beautiful with my CPAP machine stuck to my stupid face. Like an, sleeping with an octopus on your head. I wonder if the final thing I could say through my nose, you know, because into your heads I could be my spirit. I wonder if that ought to be a healthy habit for all of us. Start and live it. Live every day. Live every day surrendered and into his hands. You know, it might be an example of this, but, but let me go back. Um, Nursery rhymes, anybody ever say nursery rhymes to your kids growing up or anybody ever learn nursery rhymes as a kid? You, you know, different things, hickory dickory dock, the mouse ran up the clock. Uh, things like uh, Jack and Jill ran up a hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown and Jill came tumbling after. What a wonderful thing to learn as a three-year-old, you know. <laughs> My name is Jack, <laughs> you know. Sorry, Jack. It'll be fun. In Christian circles, if you grew up in church, uh, in some uh, churches I grew up, we learned different like children's church rhymes and stuff. And one was like, uh, uh, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand up on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And everybody yelled. Yes, all 17 of you. See, I'm so glad. Some of you grew up in church. I'm so glad. If you didn't know that, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. 
youth group we'd run around, man, I was 13 years old. We, I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-A-S-T-I-A-N, and I have C-H-R-A-S-T, and I H-E-A-R-T, and I will L-I-V-E-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-Y. And, and, you know, the youth group's singing that as they're walking through Walmart, and people are like, well, I'm glad they can spell. that. It's good that cult has something going for it. No, nothing wrong with that. It's fine. It's fun. Deep and wide, deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. But then you really changed it up and you went wide and deep, wide and deep. Anyway, we sing songs to our kiddos, right, Janet? We sing fun songs. And um, one that, that Janet would sing, just holding our babies. It, it's just, it doesn't even really make sense. Bye, oh, bye, oh, baby. Bye, oh, bye so simple like bio bio like we're singing bio to our baby I don't know but we sing it you are mama's precious you please go to sleep right now we're not the only people that grew up singing rhymes in fact um, Josephus tells us that uh, Jewish women would sing to their children in the time of Roman occupation and they would sing different psalms from David. And one particular psalm that they would sing was Psalm 31. And we can't see, it doesn't make sense, the, the cadence of it for us because it's, it wasn't written in English. So, so it gets clunky when you try and rhyme it or you try and give it a, a beat. Um, but I want you to, to think through a, a mama in the time of, when Jesus would have been alive, a mama singing to their baby or singing to their toddler as they tuck them in at night. Psalm 31, and it would say things, they, that mama would sing words like, in you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. They're singing these things because they are under the rule of Rome. And they're trusting God to help them through this worst season of Jewish life. And the stanza goes on to say, turn your ear to me, come quickly to my rescue. Mom singing to their child, be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Playing with their little bitty feet, their little bitty toes. Lead me and guide me, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. And the last line of this first verse of this psalm. To your hands I commit my spirit. And I don't know if it happened, but I wonder what if. I wonder if what if Jesus grew up with Mary? Putting her hands, her fingers through his hair singing that song together as she wondered what his life would become. He would finish that stanza and to your hands I commit my spirit. Those final words of Jesus weren't original with him. They were written 600 years earlier and they were put in that psalm 
And in the darkest, deepest, hardest moments of his life, scripture in his heart gave him traction in his pain. Oh, it's so simple, but it's true. You can commit anything to his hands. Sing that. Yes, Jesus loves me. Come on, come on, Duncan. Come on, Die Ball. You men can sing that just like we can. Come on, everybody. disciples who loved those people who had compassion on the multitudes and fed them who cried when Lazarus died and he raised him up out of the tomb in four days is the same Jesus who loves you very much and those are words that we can live by but the final word is this it's words of access and it's not just significant that he died it's significant what happened around him when he died. Scripture says in Matthew 27, after he dies, Behold, when he breathed, in that moment, the veil of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks we're split. Listen, if you don't cry out, the world will. The world will sing praises. The globe will sing glory to the Creator, whether you do or not, the Bible says. And it's in this moment the entire planet couldn't even contain its, its moment of understanding what the Creator of the cosmos had just done for us. And you're telling me that that, that that veil that separated the regular part of the temple to the Holy of Holies where nobody could go in, that only once a year the high priest could, could disrobe, put on regular clothes, they would tie a rope to one of his ankles and he would have to go in and place the blood of the sacrifice goat on the mercy seat back there on the Ark of the Covenant. And the reason they tied the, the, the rope to, to, to his leg is because if he had like some kind of sin and there, the presence of God was so thick in there, they were afraid that the presence a guy could just kill somebody right on the spot. There was so much holiness in there. And so just in case the high priest fell over dead, they'd have something to drag him out because they didn't want to go in after him. That's real. 
That same holy of holies, that same place for the Ark of the Covenant, the same place that's got the mercy seat, the same place that nobody else can enter except one time a year. And God, as though God from the heavenlies, grabs the top of that thing and rips it from top to bottom. We could never reach him from the bottom to the top. But Jesus chose from the top to the bottom to be, for God so loved the world, he came to earth. It wasn't about anything you could do. And because of that, guess what? You and I today on April 14th, 2019, have access. We have unfettered access. We have the ability to receive mercy when we need it. We've got, we've got the high priest who did all of it for us and it wasn't some priest that we had to tie a rope around his leg because what if something's not right? He was sinless. He was perfect. He was the spotless lamb of God. And in Hebrews we read, God's given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. When he gives you a promise, he's not going to break it because he can't lie to you. Goes on to say, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain and into God's inner sanctuary. And Jesus has already gone in there for us. He's become our eternal high priest. And I want to say to you, it may seem, it may seem narrow-minded of me. It may seem narrow-minded of this church to think the only way to heaven is through Jesus. But friends, He is the only one that chose to ransom your life. Thank you, Jesus. God, let us not get comfortable. But let us be so sobered and aware today of the access you now provide. Grandma can't do it for you, sir. And your spouse may be praying for you, but your spouse, as wonderful as she is or he is, cannot pray your soul into heaven. There is only one name by which man can be saved, and it is this name of Jesus, who is victorious and can bring comfort and gives us unfettered access to the mercy seat. I wish you would just stand and just give thanks to God today. I wish we would just turn this sermon into a praise moment. I wish we would just say thank you to the Lord. Come on, friends. Come on, die ball. Come on, Duncan. Come on, can we just say thank you to Jesus? Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you for all you went through on the cross. Thank you for the worst day of your life means we have our best day. We have eternity to embrace. We have beauty for ashes. We can take joy even when there's been devastation at midnight we can trust you even in our valleys of the shadow of death we thank you lord we thank you lord now listen close everybody as we end today
thank you for letting me cry with you today. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you need Jesus in your life today, you may not even understand what all that means, but you recognize that you're empty. You recognize you're not where you want to be. You recognize there's a void here. I want to say to you, if you have been recognizing that, you don't recognize it on your own. The Holy Spirit is showing that to you because He loves you so much. He doesn't want you to leave this moment without surrendering to Him. It doesn't mean that you're claiming perfection. It doesn't mean that you've got it all figured out, but it does mean that you're going to stop trying to hang on to all of it on your own and you're surrendering to God for what is next. And if that's you, with no hesitation, you need Jesus to be the center and the Savior of your life. You may have prayed it once. You may have never prayed it. You may have prayed it a few times, but you've drifted. And today it's time to get back on track and trust the anchor. Trust Jesus as your guide. If that's you, put a hand in the air. I need Jesus right now. I need Jesus in my heart. I need Jesus in my life. I don't want to do it alone. Hands all over the room. I'm believing hands in the room at Duncan and at Dyfall. You can put your hands down. Now listen, here's what we're going to pray. Everybody's going to pray it out loud. Everybody's praying it out loud. Are you ready to follow me? It's a simple prayer. It's a biblical prayer. It's a scriptural prayer. And it simply goes like this. Are you ready? Say it like this. Dear Heavenly Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my past into your hands. I commit my future in Jesus' name, amen.